Oh no, wait a minute. That's alright. I think it's doing it. Right. So what we're actually looking at is things that are trading, trading, and things that can cause us to lose our inheritance. In other words, things that determine gain or loss. Uh, failure number three is to bring forth kingdom fruit. And the power and presence of the kingdom of God has an effect in the life of the people. Um, Jesus said to the Jews in Matthew 21:43, The kingdom of God should be taken from you and given to a people who will bring forth the fruit thereof. Hello, people. We are the ones that he has said that will bring forth the fruit thereof. Because we, we Israel failed miserably... And if we don't make mid-course corrections when God requires us to, we'll go down the same chute. And we want, don't we, to bear fruit. And Isaiah 5 verse 1 talks of the song of a vineyard and he said, What more could I do? He came looking for good grapes. He expected good grapes. He said, What more can I do for my vineyard? It will not be pruned or hoed. So don't complain about being pruned. Let's have a look at Isaiah 5.1. It is that which brings forth fruitfulness. This is the song of a heart of love. Pruning is necessary, Jesus said it, didn't he? I am the vine, my father is the husbandman. And he cuts off any branches in me that do not bear fruit. Pruning has got to come. You might as well enjoy the shears because it means you're going to get a good crop. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard, Israel, on a very fruitful hill, Jerusalem. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and he made a wine press in it. He built a tower to guard it. That's what the tower's in the middle there for. And a wine press for when the fruit came. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. That's what's so serious is the fact that it brought forth wild grapes. And he says, what more can I do? And actually what he does then is he just lets it run wild. And that little book that uh, Martin Richards has written, written is all about God planted a vineyard and it's all about what happens if you leave a, a, a vineyard to go to its own it makes loads and loads and loads of leaves and goes for miles but doesn't make any fruit it makes a lot of top show we need to to change our mind about being pruned we need to love being pruned if you're not feeling the pruning shears you've been judged to be fruitless loads of leaves and no fruit comes along snip you don't lead that in your life anymore. And that is painful because when he comes along and snips, the thing bleeds, doesn't it? <laughs> so let him do it. And when the Lord comes to you and says, uh, how much time are you spending on whatever, on the golf course or whatever it is that is your particular thing or television or anything that steals what belongs to God, he will take out. And that's where uh, came the story of the man with the tank of fishes, you know, down the toilet. Uh, 
had to get rid of them because it was bringing forth wrong fruit. No fruit at all. So what is wrong fruit? Spiritual fruit versus religious fruit. Is it possible to bring forth religious things? And of course it is. Get involved in all sorts of religious good works that actually will be wood, hay and stubble on that day. Grapes is the issue. He cuts it out and gives it back if and when it won't harm you anymore. Everything goes through this process if you really want to do business with him. Through the ringer, out the other side, gets rid of all the surplus. It sounds painful because our flesh will scream. Actually, Sarah just described it. There's something in streams in the desert when it says that when God strikes a blow at your flesh, it leaves it quivering. And she actually described that. She was, I was quivering. And it's the, the blow at the flesh that makes us quiver. Our flesh doesn't like it and it isn't going to give it up easily. But she has seen a glimpse of his glory and in his kindness and grace he gave her this glimpse first before this all happened so that she would be able to say there is no comparison between what he has for me and the things I think I need. And she said I didn't realise I'd forgotten to turn it into a prayer. So there's wisdom. He said, Now you know why earthly things cannot be mixed with heavenly things, why holiness cannot be tainted by unclean things. They're worlds apart. My hand will not allow you to be defiled mm. by lowly things that bear no fruit. Mm. It just It's as though he gave this and now he's walking it out in the word that's coming here. He will not allow you to... Be defiled by fleshly things that bear no fruit. He will not do it. I want you to know me, how my plans for you are only for your good. Don't settle for what the flesh offers you when I have so much more than you can imagine. Who is it that will feed our, feed our flesh? Satan. Satan. He will come along. He'll come along and he'll say, oh, trade it. So number four, that was number three, failure to bring forth fruit. How shall we escape if we neglect? Hebrews 3.10 says that God's people were ignorant of his ways. He said, my people perish for lack of knowledge. So what he's doing in these days is actually making up time and giving us the knowledge so that we can make conscious choices and decisions. He never brings us to that bar of decision without telling us clearly what it is we are giving up or what it is we won't give up. He's, he's just with us. He's fair with us. Uh, but if we've lived an undisciplined life, if we've lived a life where, and we are in a generation now, they're boundaryless. So to bring boundaries into their lives, is they think that it is rejection because the, the parents themselves had no boundaries. So you can't pass on to the children what you never had. You know. There's a good book called Boundaries by that guy called Cloud. Mm, very good. Um, because we, we can push people's boundaries and because of our own desires, but we must look more to the desires of others than to our, our own. So number five is no temptation has overtaken you. Sarah came at the right moment. 
but such is common to man. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I hope you can see the goodness and the kindness of God in all this. Our flesh does not like it. It is there that we find out what a rebel we have in our old fallen nature, if we will be honest and brave enough to face it. We all come to it sooner or later. It's a very interesting scripture. Uh, it's all about warning against forfeiting liberty. And I'll read it all because it all speaks, really, because it speaks of what happened to Israel, and of course our pattern is always what happened to Israel, and this was how they didn't come into their inheritance, because. Moreover, brethren, chapter 10, 1 Corinthians, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptised into Moses in the cloud and the sea, they all drank the same spiritual food, they all drank from the spiritual drink, for they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. There's a book by Leonard Ravenhill's son called They Drank from the River and Died in the Wilderness. And one of the dangers of Toronto is that you can continue to drink from the river but die in the wilderness because you never move on from the blessing experience and never actually have it become reality in your life. And those who have been constantly exposed to Toronto, uh, Toronto is good because they are sound and they're bringing discipleship in. But somehow people get stuck in the ministry loop. I had a picture years ago when there were a number of people that I've been ministering to for a long time. And there I saw a river. and But there was a little side eddy. You know, it goes into a rather stagnant pool. And I'm swimming round in this stagnant pool with all these people following me. And God's saying, get out into the river. Well, guess what? I got out into the river and they're still going round in a stagnant pool. Because <coughs> they liked it in there. Little ministry circle. More, 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 more. It's, I need ministry. I need prayer. I need me. No, you don't. You actually need discipline. You're healed, but now you need to go on. Get in the river, get in the movement. But don't like that. But that is where, that's what the book's all about. They they drank from the river, they died in the wilderness, that they never actually came into the life that God had for them. Verse six. Now these things became our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as they were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And if you know your Bible, you'll know where that comes from. That was when uh, Moses went up to get the tablets from the mount and the people rose up to play. And when he came down, of course, he was so mad because they'd made the calf by then. They sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play and left to ourselves, beloved, we will rise up to play at the slightest opportunity. I actually crafted a prayer about this. Father, I have risen up to play and I have wandered away into my own wilderness. I have taken myself into the wilderness. Oh dear. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Just thank God we're in a day of grace where we don't get things like that happening. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor murmur as some of them murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples. That's what it's there for. 
and they were written for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come therefore very sober scripture here let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall so if you think you're all right and you can't be deceived you're probably in a place of, of quite danger because you can be deceived we all can no temptation we're deceived when our flesh leads us away that's the way we get deceived has overtaken you except such as is common to man but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but with the temptation will also make a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it so there's a very comforting word for my friends I think she's behind me here <laughs> and if God doesn't provide a way of escape what does God believe? that you will be able to endure it stand it stay there Lord you're killing me now you're getting the message God was demanding that he should grow up and produce something that he hadn't produced previously God will always be demanding that of you that you grow up and produce something you have not produced previously Hebrews 11:14 and 15 uh, says those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own indeed if they'd been thinking of that from which they went out which was Egypt they would have had opportunity return to return he'll let you go back he'll allow it if that's what you want you can go but the loss is inheritance you can't have the flesh pots and your inheritance one thing or the other you can't be living in in if you like what the world is seeking and have the kingdom as well but you can because if you live in Matthew 6:33 seeking first and only the kingdom everything they have comes to you by automatic it's part of your inheritance you can't outgive god you give him your whole self he will give you his whole self and early on he said to me you can have as much of me as you want so we're all governed by how much of him we want it's simple it's not as Graham would say rocket science he let you go back but these people in Hebrews 11 14 and 15 were looking for a city they were looking for a city let's have a look at it Hebrews 11 14 and 15 these all died in faith verse 13 not having received the promises but having seen them by faith afar off they were assured of them embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth the problem with us is if we start to put roots down in this place because this is not our home for those who say such things declare plainly they seek a homeland and truly if they called to mind that country from which they come out they would have had opportunity to return but now they desire a better that is a heavenly country therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them that's the hall of faith as they call it Hebrews 11 There are three illegal escape routes you can see. Murmuring was one of them. 
I've been seeking God paying my tithe and I don't know why it all goes like this. Shut up, you're murmuring. Fainting, spiritual histrionics, showing off. Grow up, get some steel in your backbone, not wishbone, don't faint. Third, run. The only problem with that is he'll cut you off at the pass. It's an illegal escape route. So if you think, I can't act this, I'm going, you'll be like Jonah. <laughs> you know what happened to him. Uh, he will ha he'll, he will cut you off at the pass. It's an illegal escape route. So, okay, let's look at the positive things. Five things to gain, preserve and experience our inheritance. Now we're all getting... 1 Peter 4, 12. Understand my own typing then. I hope we might get round to the giants if we're strong enough for it. Oh, Sarah, I think this is for you. <laughs> Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though something strange happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. See, we don't, we, we probably think suffering means. Um, pain, um, physical pain, sickness, uh, things like that. But it isn't. It can be any fiery trial that you're going through right now. Suffering can be denying the things, um, you know, is, is denying yourself the things which are forbidden. I'd like to have that, but I'm not going to. You know, I mean, just on a simple level. Um... I know God wants me to get my flesh, my flesh, this flesh here, this one, not not my carnal nature, my physical appetite under control. And I'm suffering for that. I feel I woke in the night feeling hungry. I thought, shut up, go to sleep. <laughs> not having anything. It never for a moment occurred to me, come down and have a biscuit. I'm not holding myself up in an example. I'm saying, this is why we have to go. And there are times, if God loves you, he will give you the opportunity to suffer for what you believe. Esau, we talked about him. He came in, he was hungry, he was suffering. He parted with his inheritance because he did not have the ability to control his own appetite. And that is the reason men trade their inheritance for a fleeting sexual affair. They don't know how to deny themselves. They don't have enough hold on God or themselves to deny themselves something that's clearly forbidden in God. You learn how to suffer and he will teach you how to reign. You learn how to deny yourself in any given situations. We need to learn to control and discipline these appetites because that is where the danger ground is. Sometimes our danger ground is actually our mouth. More than what we stick in with our fork, it's because of what, might, what comes out. We are swift to justify ourselves, explain why we want anything, uh, and generally just fall over words. So the mouth can be more than just appetite. And if we ever get to teaching on that, you know, I mean, it's really quite something. Constant effort. There we all groan. 
thought this was going to be exciting. Five things are going to go groan. So far we've had suffering and constant effort. That's not very encouraging, is it? Most people think, come into the Christian life, learn a few Bible verses, pray in the Spirit, look holy and it'll all come right. Sometimes it's hard. It's really hard, asked Sarah. There are hard patches. You aren't backslidden. It's hard. It requires endurance and faith. And after you've done all, stand. Moral behaviour, doctrinal soundness, proper response to spiritual authority, even when you don't agree. Repeated choices. Oh, here we come, Sarah. I'm answering all your questions, Anna. Lord, I choose you against everything else. And you can't do that once for all. It's repeated moment by moment. Tomorrow is not yet yours. Repeatedly choose for God against yourself until it becomes a habit pattern. It takes time and effort. The fourth one is integrity. <coughs> Very interesting. You know, I told you about the lady who didn't come because I made a bad decision. Um, and when we prayed about it, Joyce and I really felt we needed to make restoration there. So not only have I sent her um, the tapes, the CDs, from the day that she should have come, but I've also sent her a cheque to cover her or to defray her expenses. See, sometimes the Lord... Well, always, he'll let you make mistakes, but out of it, he will teach you what the integrous thing was to do. Mm. And I don't, I've, I've, I'm quite happy, but I'm very sorry that I made the wrong decision. Um, and, and in order to try to make it up to her, that is, that is the course of action that seemed right. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integ integrity of the upright will guide them, but the falseness of the treacherous will destroy them. And by integrity, I mean wholeness, that, that answer of a good conscience. Good conscience, I'll give you an example of that. I mean, uh, those of us, I mean, Joyce Mayer gives a good example of this. Um, you know, you, uh, someone goes into a petrol station, you're the, you're the person behind the thing, and they say, um, uh, give me uh, £10 worth of fuel and give me a slip for 15 what they're asking you to do is to cheat so that they get five pounds out of it. You can't do that. Mm. Something happened with uh, Joyce Mayer. I forget the situation of it now, but it's a very similar thing. And she had to say, no, I can't do that. Boss stomped around for three mm. or four days, but afterwards he came up to her and said, you were right. Didn't like the light. People should be able to be aware where we're working mm. or whatever of the light that we carry. We don't do that. It violates your conscience. And if anything is violating your conscience, you can't do it. Don't do it. Mind the checks, you know. I meant to say that. I don't know if I did the other day. The way to make really fast progress in the spiritual life is to mind the checks of the Holy Spirit. If he says, don't go there, don't go there. Just don't go there. I said something to June at lunchtime, and as I said it, I felt the Holy Spirit say, you should not have said that, tell her you shouldn't have said that. 
So I said, Jill, I'm ever so sorry. Will you delete that, please? For a moment, I was just enjoying myself. <laughs> and I thought, I didn't enjoy it. I thought, I'd just enjoy myself for a moment. But I didn't enjoy it, you see. Because whenever, as you walk on with God, your conscience becomes so sensitive to Him that you will not say anything that offends Him, that crushes Him, that squashes Him. You know, it's possible to upset the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you've ever been in the position of having the Holy Spirit withdraw, um, it's horrendous. I'll give you a little story there. There was a time when I was working with Jen Larkham quite closely and I went with her team a couple of times down to the Oaks at Northium. <clears throat> and it is their wont to have a, a, a Christmas celebration Then they all get together. People that have been on the Job's breaks, as many as can get there, go down there and they will have a, a fun time, a whoopee-doo. Well, she asked me if I'd go and, and uh, I said, no, no, I couldn't go because I've got things to do here. Um... Oh, come and have a meal. Just come and have a meal. So I said, yeah, without praying about it. Now, at this time, um, the Lord had asked me to stay the whole of the forenoon with him, not to go anywhere until after one o'clock. Well, of course, you can guess to get to Northium and Eos by one o'clock, I had to leave here at 12. So I sailed off. I got down there and I thought, I don't know what I'm doing here. I got very uncomfortable, did whatever it was I was supposed to do and came back. Holy Spirit, gone. Three days. I pleaded, I begged, what have I done, what have I done? And the first words he said to me were, don't ever do that again. So I, what, what did I do? You made an appointment with me and you walked out. you learn. See, that is my walk. If you go this way, it is narrow. It's no longer two lives to be lived, but one. So I learnt, I asked forgiveness, it's straight there. He had to teach me that I couldn't say, oh, I'll be there, you know, I'll be there for the length of time. That's why when we say, oh, I'm going to have a quiet time and, and somebody phones us up and we don't get down, we have ten minutes, but usually, because you're not where I'm at at the minute, it's tell them I missed them because they don't get a quiet time. But he will bring you to the place where when he's given you an instruction, that's what he expects you to do. And that's how I learnt. I learnt that if he says, please do something, then I, and I've said yes, I'll do it. But of course, I didn't pray about the jolly thing. Um, and it violated my conscience. The other way is, if you do violate your conscience, it's easier the next time. That's another way it goes. You do it once, and then you do it again, and suddenly you're not feeling any conviction over it at all. I think a lot of Christians mix up uh, condemnation with conviction, and they will say to me, you're making me feel condemned. No, sweetheart, you're coming under conviction, not condemnation. There is no condemnation. That means judgment. I'm not judging you. I'm, the words I'm bringing are probably, hopefully, convicting you. Because why? Because God wants to move you from one place to the other because he loves you. So there are three choices. One is to be an authentic Christian. Yes, I will do it. No, I won't. Sorry, I can't do it. My conscience won't let me do it. Keep your integrity. 
See, I lost my integrity there the other day. A snap decision, and that's how you do it. Is by, but God's good. Didn't come down on me like a ton of bricks, but he taught me through it. And as I look back on it, I thought, I don't know what made me say that, poor girl. So I took full responsibility for it. That's another thing I'm strong on, that you take responsibility for your own actions. A lot of, When we are rejected people, yes, we have been rejected, but our reactions are our responsibility. We do have to take responsibility for those bad, sinking reactions that we have. God's not saying, yes, dear, know exactly how you feel. So would I. <laughs> no, deal with those. The other two are bad. Because the second one is if you're not an authentic Christian and radical with yourself, you become a hi hypocrite. And if you can't be real because you can't be authentic and you don't want to be a hypocrite, you usually backslide. So that's the, the way it goes. Can't face being real. Don't want to be a play actor. Step out of it altogether. And the fifth thing here that we've made now is suffering, constant effort, repeated choices, integrity. The fifth three thing is risk. Hebrews 11.8 says, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. How many here have gone somewhere in God not knowing where you were going? <laughs> Watch, we're on pointing. She's over here somewhere. If you think walking with God gets to the place where all risk is taken out, I've got news for you. It gets more exciting as you go along. <laughs> Why are people afraid to prophesy? In case they get it wrong. Not prepared to take the risk. The decisions that you have to make have a risk in them. You know this morning with the word that God gave me, I had to take a risk. Because I would have been stuck between a rock and a hard place if I hadn't spoken out what he wanted me to speak, or if I'd softened it. Because it, had a, it was an arrow and it was going to a target. Um, because his word does not return to him void, but accomplishes that which he purposes. So if you ever get to the place where you are refusing to take risks, you're beginning to die. There is an aspect of walking with God where risk is a tremendous part of what you're doing. Pain, sleepless nights are all part of making decisions in God when he moves you into the unknown. Don't think that when you start to come into what God has spoken over you, it's beer and skittles and, oh, whoopee, this is the fulfilment, this is so lovely. It's not. Because you then have the responsibility before God to do whatever it is he's telling you to do and to do it to the letter. It's brilliant, but it's a responsibility. So you then become sons of Abraham. You become a kingdom person. You're looking for a city. We're not there yet. We're out there looking. That's the difference between staying in the rut and getting out and into the kingdom. It's risky business, risky living, but it's thrilling. And you get to hear the heart of God, the heartbeat of God for his people. And you know you begin to see the extent of his wisdom, his love, 
everything. His justice comes together. So you don't just have the love of God that will allow you to do any old thing like his son, great father, Christmas. You've got this wonderful person. He's just so rich. So we're out there looking and we want to be a people of integrity who are willing to take risks. Not foolish risks, but move when God says move into seemingly impossible situations because he will meet us. I remember when I used to be nervous of going in the counselling room. Because people are scary. And my scripture always was, don't be afraid of their faces. I was terrified of their faces. You want to sit in front of one when you're trying to tell them something they don't want to hear. And you're thinking, I don't want to say this. Get me out of here. Beat me up, Scotty. And I used to hang on in the kitchen to the unit and he'd say, get in there, I'll meet you in there. <laughs> I don't want to go. But you go through this. And he met me. As Graham would say, I'm brilliant at this, it's my specialty. <laughs> Whatever your problem is, I can do it. I can do it. <coughs> so, suffering, constant effort, repeated choices, integrity and risk. If you get those things lined up in your thinking, you will find that God will lead you into your inheritance. And like the scripture we looked at this morning, it doesn't bring you in all at once. Because an inheritance hastily gained is a disappointment at the end. He'll bring it to you line by line. He is faithful. Okay, right, here we go then. This shouldn't take too long, hopefully. I don't sidetrack anywhere. I do <laughs> Like a dentist. <laughs> this, this shouldn't take too long. <laughs> <laughs> no, you won't feel a thing. After this morning, this afternoon, this is uh, number 1333. Okay. Somebody's pinched it. Oh. There we saw the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So we were in their sight. So here we have Caleb and Joshua and the children that... Uh, Moses sent out to spy out the land and got the reports but there was a bad report and they yes they saw giants but Caleb and Joshua saw God those who doubt say we're not able to go up those who believe say let us go up at once and possess it for we are well able giants stand for difficulties in ourselves and in our circumstances Giants are stalking everywhere. They're in our families, our churches, our social life and in our own hearts. And we must overcome them or they will eat us up, as these men said of the giants in Canaan. 
The Israelites were instructed, we talked about this at lunchtime, to completely destroy the idols and towns they came across in possession of the land. But we know that they never completely destroyed the things that in the end destroyed them. And this same thing applies to us. If we do not completely root out the things God points out to us, they will become giants and eat us. Another way of looking at it is that they will become bondages to us. We think we've got them, but they have us. And we will actually be rendered powerless and useless in the fight which is ahead of us. Make no mistake, beloved, we are training for the battle to end all battles and we are conscripts in God's army. Some of us have warrior status, some are foot soldiers, some generals, some field marshals. We all have a place. This is boot camp. Maneuvers. The terrain is rough and unpredictable, but we are being trained as God's SAS. To go in undercover, do the job, and come out before the enemy has detected us. And one of the things about the SAS people, I understand, is that they are prepared to give their lives up. So they've decided it before they go. That if they die, they die, like Queen Esther. If I die, I die. And it's almost like we have to decide that. Because our flesh life has got to die. Um, it's not our physical death. Few of us will be called to be martyred. Uh, but all of us are called to die to the old man. And it's that that screams and kicks and rebels and doesn't want to do it. But the SAS go in undercover, do the job and come out before the enemy has detected them. Warfare does not go away if you're not ready for it. So if you think, I'm not going to have any part of this, uh, you won't miss it. Because it's there whether you like it or not. As I said before, God and the enemy do not take holidays. You're in this 24-7 whether you like it or not, so you better start liking it. <laughs> Every situation is either a real fight or it's a battle simulation, which is training. So you've got three things here. You've got your training ground, which is what we're on today and have been all this week. This is your classroom. This is where you get your manual. But we all know that when we get into the proving ground, it's hard to line up the instruction that you had, like Sarah came in with something this morning, with that which they've just learnt. Because the reality is you are faced with people and circumstances and situations that don't seem to make sense. But all you know is they're causing you tremendous pressure. It is at that point you step back and you say, OK, Father, which page of the manual is this on? <laughs> Because you will find it is there. And you'll say, ah, well, this is this bit. All you've got to do there is stand. Because I said to Sarah, this is just the pressure being up. It's like I said with a cat sitting on your lap. If you've entertained the enemy, when you go to take him off your lap, his claws will go in like a cat when you want to get up to go to the bathroom. And the next time... God will bring the pressure in the same place because you didn't actually turf the blooming thing out the first time. He'll hang on that little bit longer and the test will be that little bit hotter and harder because we missed the boat the first time. It doesn't matter because God will keep taking us around it. 
but it will get more difficult because his intention simply is that you should stand you've said I want you Lord and nothing else okay enemy is now allowed to push that decision really how about if I give you this no I don't want it I'm not having it so you've got to resist it and that is where your strengthening comes that's your proving ground it isn't actually the real battlefield that you will know when you get on it but we do need to know the difference between the training ground the proving ground and the battleground training exercises where you gain the skill and the knowledge about fighting the Holy Spirit has an unabashed enthusiasm for you to succeed so he's giving you the thumbs up all the time good fight isn't it well I don't I don't like good fight isn't it yet yeah, good fight because Jesus is a warrior king he loves a good fight and we cannot lose we cannot lose all we're called upon to do is to stand in what he's given us just stand hold your ground but if we let the enemy push us back we'll then have twice the difficulty to push forward again some of you know that I gave up drink because it just gave me up I didn't want it for 10 years after I was born again dry couldn't stand the smell of a cork forget it and then I came here and the pressure of the ministry uh, was so great I began to have a little tipple you know to keep the old equilibrium going enemy will wait a long while to take back the ground that you've won you've got to be constantly on your guard because he will come and circumstances will cut he took ground from me but I ha ha learnt from that I learnt the lesson that you can have have something for 10 years and he can take it away but God taught me in that the way that he will just stand right by and wait his opportunity you just wait so when you're at a low ebb I went back to my de-stressor which was drink and of course what happened very rapidly was I was drinking a lot and then a dear soul this is how I know that the truth when it first comes is negative sent me a little note saying um, I've had a picture of you wearing a long cardigan with fire coming out of your pocket and you were holding a glass here and this fire's coming up she even got someone to draw what she described and sent it to me she said do you know what it is I said I haven't got a clue I really truly I got really touched I thought what's she going on about what's this all about um, so I never teach anything that I haven't actually experienced I, I'm not giving you a textbook here I'm giving you it from where it's happened for me anyway eventually I said look darling you're gonna have to tell me what this is because I don't know so she said well when we were with you last weekend she said I rather felt you were drinking too much that went down like a rat sandwich Oh, yes. She said, and I asked the Lord if it was, if I should say anything to you because I'd seen this. And the next day in the, <laughs> in the word for today, the thing was, can fire be carried in a man's bosom and the man not be burned? So she sent me the picture. So I said, okay, thank you. I will take it to the Lord. And I took it to the Lord and I said to him, 
grain of truth in this, as you do. This is a proper response to any word of correction. Is there a grain of truth in it? Not arguing with the person who brings the correction, taking it to him. Is there a grain of truth? Will you stop for me? I said, yeah. Will you not drink it again till you drink it with me in the kingdom? That was the scripture he gave me. I said, willingly, Father. But will you show me how to de-stress myself, please? And he said, I will teach you to de-stress yourself in me. So whatever your addictive problem is, he will teach you to de-stress yourself in him. I used to run, Joyce will tell you, biscuits. She couldn't keep up with me and biscuits. When we were at the flat, 11 o'clock at night, I'd start. And one was never enough. It was a packet. And she'd keep going to the tin, no biscuits. They, it stopped like that when God taught me to, to just go to him when I was hungry. To go to him. He's, <laughs> he's got the answer to everything. His name's Jesus. Doesn't matter where you turn, he is the answer. That's why he stands before us and says, Beloved, I am the answer. Don't go skating around anywhere else. I am the answer to everything. If only you will come to me, I will give it to you. So, training ground, proving ground, battleground, need to know the difference. We're called to fight, and the fight is good. And we must hit a time when we overcome. This is what my business, I keep banging on about it, but it's my, this is the, what the business of my food is all about. I am going to overcome this blighter. <laughs> it is going to do as it is told. Because I am in executive control over it. Shut your mouth, you're not having any more. I don't care how much you grumble, you're not having it. There is something in overcoming that makes you feel good. You must be realising that. Because what Tanya's been doing is exceedingly difficult. It's like a, a, it's like a, a continuous fast on, on fluids, really. For how many days you've been on it? It's been ten weeks. Yeah, ten weeks. That is an extended fast. And I think she said yesterday, I've never felt so affirmed, so loved in my life. Because why? Because God get, is not only trimming her down physically, but spiritually she's getting a clear out without realising it. Because she's coming close to him and hearing things she never heard before. So we have to... Some things are easy, not easy, but it's, it's whatever's right for you that God wants you to overcome. You know, I told you about car alarms, dogs barking, revving engines. All these are areas to overcome in order that you come in to rest. Because that's your portion, that's your inheritance, so you come in to rest. So we must hit a time when we overcome. We have to cross the line and get a mindset that says, I'm going to change the way I think and I'm going to start overcoming that's why life in the spirit is an absolute necessity dust is Satan's food how long are you going to be lunch for him I remember saying that to someone recently oh boy was she down I can't do this God's given her a ministry and it's it's 
to do with Jerusalem. Very important. He chose her because he knew that she was the right one. And here she is on the verge of chucking it away because I can't do this. Nobody told you you could. And she was snared with her emotions. Oh, my goodness. Down that pit of self-pity. I so so deep I couldn't see it. I can't mean you. It's no good. I'm just going to go into my room and close the door. And I thought, well, okay, sweetheart, I'll see you when you come out. <laughs> and come out she did because we prayed for her and the Lord, you know, pulled her up out of the pit. And she's in a stronger place now. So he snares us with our hurts, wounds, emotions, needs, appetites, any time he likes. Because why? Because they are not under God's control. They're under our control. So we follow them. I'm hurt. I'm wounded. I have a little pity party. He's got you. Give in to a pity party and he's got you. Needs. Appetites, I'm going to have it. Skin for skin. Every man has his price, he's saying. The men of faith said, they are bread for us. I'll have snake sandwich, thanks very much. We will eat them up. In other words, we will be stronger by overcoming them than if there had been no chance to overcome. If we don't have chance to overcome, we will be like... No, I won't say that. We will be all floppy. The fact is, unless we have overcoming faith, we shall be eaten up, consumed by the giants in our path. And we can't be overcomers unless we've got something to overcome. That's a very... You enjoy that message, no end. <coughs> That's just what you want to do here. <laughs> but it was when Israel was going forward that they... The giants appeared. When they turned back into the wilderness, they found none. But we are not of those that turned back, and neither did they come into their promised land. They turned back for fear of the giants, which the Lord had said, I will drive them out before you. Mm. Didn't believe him. So it was because of unbelief, it says in Hebrews, that they did not enter into his rest. And the reason we don't come into rest in any area of our life is unbelief. No matter what your need is, Graham, if you listen to one of those CDs, not sure which one it is, he says, the map that God has made for your life has got problems along it. But alongside every problem, he has placed his provision. So when you come into the problem, you just stand there and look for the provision. Because we are the sheep of his pasture, we are his children. He's not going to abandon us. Amen. But sometimes we have to wait. But it is in the waiting and how we wait that we prove out whether we're being carnal on this occasion or spiritual, as Graham would say. Whether we're moaning and complaining and get me out of here or whether we're expressing our confidence. And the right reaction in that situation is, Father, I'm just confident. Sometimes I will just express my confidence in God. People come to me with the most horrendous problems. And I say, before we do anything else, I'm going to express my confidence in God. They say, I don't feel very confident. Well, have some of mine. Because I do. I am beginning to know that my God is for me. And he is big enough for my mistakes that I make inadvertently. 
I don't set out to upset anyone or make mistakes, but I will, because it's the only way I learn, I find. I don't set out, and, and yes, that's something else. And I want to apologise, because there have been times when, with you guys, particularly from Crayford, you've asked me something, and I've gone, <coughs> and bitten at you as if you ought to know. And um, I really feel that the Lord was saying to me, sweetheart, they are asking because they don't know. So if I've been less than gentle when I've responded, I do apologise. It's my, it's, it, I'm not excusing myself, I'm apologising. <laughs> oh, have I told you the difference between forgiveness and, and, and uh, excusing? That's a good one. Once when I was at... Um, uh, at, um, Bexley when I was working there I phoned David Hillsley Sue knows David and he really bit my head off and I was quite hurt he bit my head off because he was my pastor at the time and I was quite hurt so when I came home and I was having a bath I'm saying oh well I expect he had a nasty old day and he had a bit of a headache and he was a bit pressured and one thing and another and God said to me you're not forgiving him. You're making excuses. I want you to forgive him. So, if you find yourself making excuses for people, just forgive them. Not excuse them. Forgive them. Because there's a difference. I was letting him off the hook, you see. Making all these little rationalisations. Let's throw that one in for free. But it's useful. Is it Because it reminds me that if I forgive, I forgive and I do forgive, and that's it. Don't even remember. Joyce will sometimes say to me things like that. I don't remember. It's gone. So when they turned back to the wilderness, they found no giants. And one of our giants is self-preservation. And God wants to set us free from that. He says, take up your cross, because I want to set you free. And the moment that you move from self-preservation to self-denial, you move from Satan's kingdom to God's kingdom. We talked about it yesterday in a different way. When we're in the flesh, we're in Satan's kingdom, in the spirit, in God's kingdom. God wants to move us from darkness to light. And I gave you an example of my self-preservation. When I get behind my cross-reference book, I'm preserving myself because I've just about given out all I can. So I'm actually hiding because I, instead of saying, look, lads, lasses, not a drip left here. You have to just give me ten minutes or whatever. I'll come to you when I've got some more. So that is self-preservation. Just ask the Lord to show you the areas where you're in self-preservation. Anything that's got self attached to it. Uh, just ask him. You know, you can go through the dictionary and look at look at the things that have got self. I can't think of any more at the moment because it was self-preservation I wanted to come in on. All the while we try to preserve ourselves, he can't. Because we're actually doing the job for him. Mm. Hard. <laughs> go for it. I'll tell you a story against myself, as I'm often doing so. It's, and it's always because God's speaking to me about something, isn't it? Sitting here having dinner, lots of people at the table, and I'm thinking, there isn't going to be enough of that for me if it doesn't come up to this end of the table in a minute. And I found myself doing this time after time, and I suddenly realised God must be speaking to me. Because you can guess what happened. It would, can you pass me the, uh, you know, as soon as it landed on the table? Because I'm frightened, I 
well, get in there. I mean, that's a humiliating thing to have to admit to. As soon as I realised that, I said, Father, it doesn't matter. If you want me to have it, there will be enough. This was years ago. But it's one of the little things that he started talking to me about, was looking after your own grub, you know, I guess. Anybody relate to that? Well, bless you. <laughs> ah, dear. So it's the simple little things. You see, it's not the great big things. It's the simple little things. Mine, 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 mine. I was telling them about how I used to look to see when we had a lot of people here. You may not have even know it or remember it. I think... What I want a large dollop of is down the other end of the table and they're all helping themselves and there isn't going to be any left for me. <laughs> a, a classic example of self-preservation. Oh, it's a horrible thing. It really is. Oh, dear. Oh, yes. Not that one. Okay. <laughs> oh, dear. Salvation is a process. You have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. And there remains much ground to be taken. What is God nailing right now? He wants to give you something so much better. Mm. Don't eat that, eat this. It's baby training. You know, when you've got a baby and it's got a fistful of something that's going to shove it in, it's dirt or something, and you can distract them, uh, just as they're about to get it in, by giving them something nice, can't you? They look the other way then. So it's baby training, you're saying, no, don't have that, have this. Flesh is all about self-gratification, and spirit is all about denying the flesh that gratification, saying, no, you're not going to have it. The enemy cannot predict what you're going to do if you're not going to be controlled by extreme self-interest. And the best agents of the enemy are actually carnal Christians. There is no such thing as an unsurrendered heart. Your heart is always surrendered to something or someone. So make sure it's the Lord. The enemy knows when he's dealing with the flesh. He can stir up the desires of the mind, the desires of the flesh, and we're like puppets on a string because he knows exactly where to come in. Now, I just want to speak a little bit about destiny and purpose. In these days, God is urging us to speak out our destiny and purpose, to speak forth the things that are not as though they are, because as far as he is concerned, they exist already. And as I said already, we've heard Graham speak of the provision that is already there along the path that God's marked out for us. When we encounter problems, we stand and look for the provision that is already there, that God has marked out for this situation. He has not left any bases uncovered, beloved. It's time to move out of unbelief and into what God has got for us, our inheritance and our destiny. Unbelief is a choice as much as belief is a choice. It is just a straightforward choice. I do believe. I don't believe. You're actually exercising your will to believe. And in the face of everything being negative, you can say, Father, I'm going to believe you in this. I'm standing on the fact that you are faithful. 
never mind what the circumstance in fact the circumstances are simply there to look as though everything is contrary that is why it's there to cause you to say I'm not looking at the circumstance I'm looking at you it lifts your eyes up from being horizontal to being vertical and once your eyes go up vertical you begin to praise and worship and thank and declare his goodness his majesty and what's the worst thing that can happen to you the worst thing is you go home yeah you have to look at the ultimate so okay I'm in this pickle what's the worst thing here I come I mean what better Whatever situation we are in, we are victorious, we are winners. But while we live in the flesh, we will be wanting the same satisfaction as the people around us. So we will appear to be as agitated, as worried, as concerned, as shaken as the people out there. We are supposed to be walking through the world with the answer, Jesus. So first of all, we've got to have that victory in our hearts and in our lives, walking it out so that we can go to those people that are so needy out there and say we actually have got the answer and his name is Jesus and they won't be listening to what we're saying they'll be looking at the way we live mm. that is the way it happens okay you think he's going to be provided well, how do you live then what as it work out in your life they want the practicals of how it actually nitty-gritty works out on the ground Trials are necessary. We need them. Conflicts are necessary. We've got to do things we don't like. But so long as we know, you have to eat your sprouts. For those of you who don't like sprouts, David Hillsley didn't like sprouts, but he liked strawberries. And I used to say to him, you can't have strawberries all the time, David. You've got to have your sprouts. <coughs> The fact is, the power of God always brings conflict and struggle. And I keep hearing Graham tell him I'm a genius. That's my specialty. I'm really good at that. We are not expected to be able to do this thing. That is the beauty of it. He calls you into the thing you cannot possibly do. I cannot possibly do what I'm doing here. Somebody made reference to something... Uh, whatever it was I said this morning can I remember it? No I'd have to listen to the CD to find out what it was I said this morning because I don't know can I do this thing? No I'm glad to say I cannot but it brings conflict on a human level because I'm the agent that God is using with, with his sword to poke so it brings conflict and the power of God always brings conflict. Look at Paul. His life was one long hard struggle with persecuting Jews, wild storms, vipers and all the powers of earth and hell and he was saved by the narrowest margin when he was on board ship and more than once I think he said and had to swim ashore at Malta on a piece of wreckage and barely escaped to a watery grave. That's Acts 27, 19 and 38. When I read it I thought now that is interesting. Everything had to be thrown over to lighten the ship. They had to get rid of everything, including the food they were eating. doesn't change. And Jonah, the same. They lightened the ship before they were saved. 
and we've already looked at the baggage we carry which needs to be thrown overboard before we can come into everything God purposes for us. Good question for you. What's my baggage? I remember a lady, she's gone to be with the Lord now. She had a picture of an, of a, an escalator and she was coming towards this escalator and she got bags and suitcases and she couldn't get on the escalator because the baggage wouldn't fit. And we were saying to her, to put the baggage down then you can go up couldn't see it couldn't see it so clear so ask him what your baggage is and it's got to be thrown overboard before we can come into everything God purposes for us that stuff won't go through the narrow straight through which we need to pass God strips before he equips, he never changes, stripping, then equipping. This is a cheerful word too, isn't it? Storms <laughs> are necessary. Without them, without giants, we would remain with unexercised faith muscles. Flabby, I won't use you, sweetheart, though I'd like to. Bless is my little rag dolly. Flabby, flaccid, useless. We need storms, if only to know that he's always in the same boat as his people. Bob Mumford's got a very good book, actually. I think it's entitled The Purpose of Temptation Tests Are Necessary, isn't it? Don't like it, but it's right. So Paul tells us that when he took the Lord as his life, and he took him as his life, he didn't half-heartedly do it. Remember we started off with half-hearted or whole-hearted? He said, Lord, I take you as my life. No longer two lives to be lived. Mine is yours. Yours is mine. I'm out of it. This is your life to live through me. Like Reese Howells, the Lord's servant was possessed by God. A severe conflict immediately came. Indeed, a conflict that never ended. A pressure that was persistent. But out of it, he always emerged victorious through the strength of the Lord Jesus. And he says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Why? <coughs> that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our body. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 10. I don't know, sometimes I think Christians think that Paul was singular and nobody else had to live like it. He's actually mirroring there how we should be. It's a ceaseless, strenuous struggle, but it's not misery. If I look as if I'm miserable, then I've missed it, haven't I? Because that is joy. Righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy is your portion. It's impossible in English to um, express the forcible language in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 10. There are five pictures in succession. First, crowding enemies, pressing him from every side, yet not crushing him because of heavenly interven intervention that makes a way just wide enough for him to get through. The literal translation would be, we are crowded on every side but not crushed. The second picture is that of one whose way seems utterly closed and yet is pressed through. There is light enough to show him the next step. One translation says, 
without a way, but not without a byway. The third figure is of an enemy in hot pursuit while the divine defender stands, but he is not left alone, pursued but not abandoned. The fourth figure is even more vivid and dramatic. The enemy has overtaken him, struck him down, knocked him down, but it's not a fatal blow. He's able to rise again. It might be translated, overthrown but not overcome. Weebles wobble but they don't fall down. He's back down there. And lastly, now it seems to be even death itself, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. But he doesn't die, for the life of Jesus now comes to his aid, and he lives the life of another until his work is done. He lives on the other side of the cross, where the world has now no hold on him, and he is totally given over to the work of the one who called him. There is life after death. Resurrection life comes after the crucifixion. When you have agreed to put this thing to death and the Holy Spirit will be more than happy to help you, you come into resurrection life. I sense that I'm beginning to come into resurrection life and the power in it, the, do no, the power inside me sometimes is hardly able to contain it because it is the, the very power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is in me. It's in you, it's in you, it's in all of us. That dunamos, that, just imagine if the whole body of Christ came into the place where the dunamos power of God was released. What's in the way? Your flesh life. That is the sum total of what is in the way. What, uh, Watchman Nee calls it the release of the spirit to get rid of this the outer man which is the flesh the inner man which is the soul and the inmost man comes forth Jesus lived his life in the opposite way from us he lived with his spirit on the outside soul in the middle and his body was the last thing he was concerned about so he lived life always meeting everything with his spirit when the conflict comes and the battle rages for a long time do not become discouraged and surrender. God has nothing worth having that is easy. No matter what is being said, and it is all true, as I keep saying, the Father heart is true. It is true. He establishes you in sonship. Then he takes you into servanthood and into slavery. It's a cycle. It establishes you first in who you are and whose you are so that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you are his. Then he can move you into the purposes for which he called you so that you can live like a son. And no cheap goods in the heavenly market. Hard places are God's school to teach us to overcome and by faith and patience inherit the promises. That's Hebrews 6.12. Well, bless you. You will be very grateful to know that that is that for today. <laughs>